You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, guys. It's great to uh, look out and see all of you this morning. If you're uh, new with us, my name is Joe, one of the leaders here, and I'm uh, super excited to jump into the scriptures with you here in just a few minutes. Let's pray before we jump into the scriptures. Please bow your heads with me. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we just ask for your presence to be powerful among us, tangible among us. We pray that, that your spirit would just be on the move in our midst this morning. Lord, we pray that as, 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 as your people gather in this place this morning, that we, would, that we would gather expecting to hear from you, and that we would gather expecting for you to do something great in our midst, Lord God. As we work our way through the gospel of Luke, and as we see this picture continuously being painted of the work of Jesus when he walked this earth, just pray, God, that this morning that you would save some. Or we just know, some of us know and we just trust that because of the the work at the cross and because of your life and because of the empty tomb, that because of your blood that was shed, because of your body that was broken, that as we trust and believe in you, as as we come to you and bring our lives to you and kneel before you, that you are more than adequately powerful enough to not only save us from eternal separation from our Father in heaven, but that you are also powerful enough to change our lives radically. So Lord God, as we dive into the text today, I pray God that you would take this story of Jesus at work saving people and that you would just apply it to our hearts. And that you would draw those who already know you, who are saved, God, that you would draw us much closer to you and give us a a fuller, uh, more robust understanding of what it means to be saved and what it means to come to you trusting and believing. And Lord, for those of us that are in the room that are just kind of on the edges still trying to figure out, like, I don't know if I trust this whole Bible thing, if I trust this whole Jesus idea, if I trust this group of people that I'm sitting here with yet. Lord, I just pray for those in the room that are, whose hearts are there, and I pray, God, that you would just do your work inside of them in the timing that you so choose. So, Lord, I pray that you would use my words this morning as I preach, that you would take the meditations of my heart as I studied this text throughout the week, and that you would take the words of my mouth as they come out and that you would use them to bring you glory and honor. And that you would use them to challenge people who are hearing. So Lord, we just pray those things and we trust that you are more than capable, more than able, and more than willing. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So Luke uh, chapter 8 is where we're at today. We're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to work through verses 40 through 56. Let me read. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, 
And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one. What had happened? So here's the deal, guys. Jesus saves people. Jesus saves people who come to him trusting and believing in him to save them. The problem for us is that we're always looking somewhere else for somebody else or something else to save us or to heal us or to bring us peace or comfort. We, we run to food late at night to comfort our depression. We look to the arms of a new lover to save us from our loneliness. We look to the effects of a drug or a bottle to numb the pain of our brokenness. We chase after false gospels every day. For instance, you're in hell because you're out of shape. So go join health club and be saved from your living hell it's a false gospel or maybe you're in hell because no one loves you and everyone rejects you so you must cling to this relationship or pursue that new relationship so you can finally live in your own functional heaven it's a false gospel or maybe you're in hell because you you don't have the nice things that everyone else has so you get a different job, or you rack up your credit card, or you blow your 401k, so you can finally have that slice of heaven found in shiny new things. It's a false gospel. Or maybe you're in hell because uh, your relationship with your significant other is full of chaos and sin, 
dysfunction. So it must be time to break that one off and find somebody new. That way you can find your slice of heaven again. Maybe only then you would be loved and accepted. And the problem with all this is this. It's, it's that even though some of these things are not sinful in and of themselves, they become sinful because we begin looking for our deepest desires to be met by created things rather than the creator himself. Listen, you and I will never ever find satisfaction for our deepest desires of acceptance, love, affection, or salvation in anything that is created because created objects are broken. This is idolatry, my friends. This is idolatry. And the only way to be saved from our idolatrous tendencies that are rooted deep within our sick hearts, honestly, is to trust that Jesus will save us. So the great news in all of this is that Jesus saves people. And he saves people who trust in him and believe in him. Philip Ryken says it this way. He says, when every other attempted remedy has failed, when we have spent everything we have and still have not found the cure. When everyone else has let us down and all our other supports have given way, Jesus is ready and waiting to save us. Listen, when the wheels fall off the bus for you, when all of our efforts to self-medicate our pain or cover our sin or fill the gaps or find healing and salvation fail, I want us to hear, Jesus saves people. Anybody say amen? amen? When you fail to find the cure for your sickness that continues to cause you harm and destroy all of your relationships, I want us to remember that Jesus saves people. I want to make sure I'm not alone here this morning. I want you to remember that, that God proclaimed this to you today through the mouth of a preacher that only Jesus and Jesus alone saves people. There is no other place we can look to that will save us or change us other than Jesus. When you realize that you have been too stubborn and too deceived to listen to the voice of the Lord through the power of the word, the power of the spirit, and the voices of his people gathered around you, and you recognize that you're at the end of your rope in those moments, I want you to remember when all of your worldly attempts to save yourself have failed you, I want you to hear that Jesus saves people. When you're left dangling from a cliff because your sinful pursuits that you thought were going to bring you happiness and joy, but in the end, only destroy. When, you, when that next relationship falls apart, when you find that you have spent every dime you have and every piece of relational currency you have to try to make yourself feel better and you find at the end of that that you're dangling from a cliff ready to die. I want you to remember that Jesus saves people. 
When you look into the eyes of your child or your children at some point and you realize that all of your attempts to cover your mess and your sin, to cover the mess of your life and the pain of your failures and the sickness of your heart, when you find that everything has failed as you look into your, their eyes and you find that you've caused your children more harm than your parents caused you or that you did not leave them with the representation that you wished you could have and you feel like it's falling apart, I want you to remember at this moment, at that moment, Jesus saves people. Philip Ryken says this too. He says, <coughs> He says, Jesus gives us his love, making us the sons and daughters of God. We do not have to hold back alone and afraid, avoiding other people and hardly daring to approach God. No matter what we have done or what we have suffered, Jesus will welcome us into the Father's love with open arms. And this is one of the most foundational pieces of the gospel. When you hear the message of the gospel, one of the first things you hear is that God created us to, to be with him and that we can actually come to him. We can come to him unashamed, unhindered, unafraid. We come right into his loving presence as our father in heaven. We can come as his kids for the first time because of the work of Christ at the cross. And he will actually accept us and welcome us and love us who once lived as his enemies. And he will accept us to become his legitimately saved, adopted, and changed, transformed children. The problem is this. The problem is that we're not able to come to Jesus when we're looking to our functional and false saviors to save us. When we come to Jesus, we must come to him, leaving all of our functional saviors behind. What does it mean to come to Jesus? What does it actually look like to come to Jesus? Well, look, at, look at verses 40 through 47 with me again. Luke says this, he says, now when Jesus returned, I mean, remember now, Jesus has been out on the sea, sailing, right? And he lands on this other side of the lake demon possessed man is there and he comes out and confronts the demon possessed man and gets back in the boat and leaves because a ton of the people there didn't want him remember last week the only person that was changed on that island was that demon possessed man everybody else that was there stiff armed Jesus and pushed him away so he got back in the boat with his disciples and he took off and it says that when he got back to the other side there were a ton of people waiting and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of a synagogue. Now, a ruler of a synagogue would have had a ton of power and authority. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had only one, for he had, he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. And I want you to put yourself in this man's place for a moment. Imagine that you have a 12-year-old daughter and all of her life she struggled with some sort of physical illness and she's on her deathbed in these moments. Imagine the pain, imagine the horror, imagine the, the hopeless feeling you might have. That with all of your power and all of your ability, you cannot even save your 12-year-old daughter from death that's coming to get her. This is where Jairus is at. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. 
For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age. She was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Note the fact that the young girl is 12 years old, and the woman has been struggling with an issue for 12 years. Discharge of blood. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Catch that. She's spending everything she had so that she could get better. Anybody understand what that feels like when you feel like you've done everything you could to change the situation you're in, but it just won't change? She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter's like, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. I mean, I can just kind of see this unfolding. There's Jesus getting back to the shore. Thousands of people are waiting for him. He gets out and he's walking through the crowd. He meets Jairus and then this woman touches him. And he's like, dude, who touched me? And Peter's like, hello, duh. There's thousands of people here, Jesus. Can we just get going? I'm kind of hungry. Get some lunch. When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So there's something for us in America where we, we get stuck in our own little individualized societies and we think that everything is just mine and mine alone and we don't want to share with anybody else. And like Jesus calls this woman out of her hiding. It's just like, no, the story that I gave you was meant for others to hear. Coming to Jesus means this. Coming to Jesus means welcoming him, waiting for him, falling at his feet, asking for his help, coming out of hiding and being vulnerable. In our text, Luke tells us that Jesus returns from his sailing adventures, exerting his power over the stormy seas. And he's changing a demonically possessed man. And when Jesus returns, he's greeted by a ton of people, right? A ton of people who have come to welcome him. And granted, some people are just there for the show because I think Jesus did better attractional ministry than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, I don't think TV preachers can hold a candle to the ministry that Jesus did. I really don't. I think all of our TV preachers today are just trying to mimic what Jesus did. Granted, some people were there for the show. But some people have come to Jesus because they are desperate and they are in need of saving from the things that have afflicted them for so long. Listen, these people aren't just welcoming Jesus, but they're waiting for him. What would it look like for you and I to live our lives in a posture of waiting for Jesus to act? What would it look like for us to seriously just wait upon him to act on our behalf or to free us from our sin, or to provide a means of escape instead of running headlong or headstrong in the opposite direction all the time. Notice too, notice that both the girl on her deathbed and the sick woman were both the opposite ends of the spectrum in age. Even though they were 
at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of age and struggle. They both were struggling. Notice, too, that the, the shame and the hopelessness and the isolation in both stories. Jairus has done everything that he can do to save his daughter, but he's failed. He's failed to keep his daughter safe from impending death. As a father, I cannot understand what that might feel like. But I want you to imagine the shame and the hopelessness and the isolation that could be taking place for Jairus. I believe this is what drove Jairus to his knees in front of Jesus. Listen, if your failed attempts don't drive you to your knees in desperation for Jesus to act on your behalf, you are merely posing, faking it. What about the woman, right? Bleeding for 12 years, unable to be intimate with a husband or a significant other, unable to even be touched by other people because to bleed like this was to be declared unclean. The toucher was to become unclean as well. So people would have shunned her. So imagine the isolation that this woman had walked through for years. Imagine the hopelessness, the fear, the shame that she was wrestling with as she came to Jesus. Imagine the risk that she was taking just walking through a crowded crowd of people. Imagine the risk that she was taking as she reached out with her hand to just touch Jesus' cloak. Imagine the step of faith and trust that must have been like for her. Remember that as she's come to Jesus, she has spent everything she had, her entire life savings, to find a cure. And put yourself in these people's shoes for a moment. And you'll see yourself in them if you hear the Spirit speaking to you. Notice, too, that after Jairus comes to Jesus and they begin making their way to his house, that they are interrupted by the woman touching his cloak, right? And I love what Jesus does because he just kind of like stops and he asks, like, hey, who is that that touched me? Someone's been healed. As if he didn't know. See, I think Jesus knew. I really believe that Jesus knew who had touched him, knew why she had touched him, And I think the deal is that he didn't want to let her off the hook in terms of her public story about what had just happened. In other words, Jesus drew this woman out of the shadows of hiding and cloaking and pretending and faking. He drew her out of those shadows so that by her vulnerability, God himself would receive the glory and the attention for what had happened. Listen, when everything else fails to save us, when all of our false gospel messiahs like shiny new things, relationship addiction, drugs, alcohol, career pursuits, when all those things fail to give you the fulfillment and the healing that you thought they would, you can come to Jesus and he will save you. Are you welcoming Jesus into every aspect of your life today? Is that you? 
Or is your heart just crowded with failures and fears and sin? Are you waiting for Jesus today or are you just waiting for the next shiny new thing or the next lover to affirm you? Are you falling at Jesus' feet today or are you worshiping at the shrine of sexual addiction, drug addiction, and alcohol addiction? And are you asking for Jesus' help today or are you merely playing the game of religion, hoping that your external practices will transform you on the inside, thinking somehow that by your external game that you play is actually going to produce something internally inside of you when in reality only Jesus by the power of his spirit and the power of the empty tomb and the power of the cross can make that change inside of you. There is nothing else that matters. There's nothing else that will do it. You have to let go of those false messiahs, those functional gospels, the things that you spend your money and your time on and come to Jesus so that he can save you. Man, are you coming out of your solitary place of hiding Are you running to the arms of Jesus with everything that you've got? Or are you just cowering behind the fig leaves of your blame and your excuses and your accusations? Are you ready to come to Jesus today with your heart open, being vulnerable regarding your neediness for him? Or will you continue to run off the cliff of sinful desire and deception. Please hear me today, my friends. Jesus saves people. And Jesus saves people who come to him trusting and believing in his power to save them. So Philip Ryken says this. Philip Brecken says, on the basis of his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus has the power to save us in all the ways that we need to be healed from sorrow, abandonment, abuse, depression, and the guilt of our sin. All we need to do is grab hold of him by faith and trust his power to save. Let me repeat that. All we need to do is grab hold of him by faith and trust his power to save. And it makes me think of all the different things that I grabbed a hold of when I was younger. In my previous life, before Jesus got a hold of me, that day when I got hit by a truck, I remember the things that I grabbed hold of that I actually thought had the power to save me. I actually thought these things that I grabbed for had the power to affirm me or change me or make me feel accepted or loved. And I grabbed hold of adulterous relationships and I would not let my grip go. I grabbed hold of power and authority as a business owner. I grabbed hold of as many possessions as I could draw close to me because I grew up without very much. I grabbed hold of substances thinking that they would numb the pain of my broken life. Vegging out in front of the TV or my my image as a biker or a father or a husband. Listen, not all of these things that we grab hold of are sinful in and of themselves. I said this earlier. All the things that I mentioned may not necessarily be bad or sinful. 
But they can quickly become unhealthy and sinful because we hold on to them, believing that they will heal us, deliver us, or save us. This is why this message today is so important for us as a congregation, as a gathered group of people. Every one of us has these tendencies to look in other places other than Jesus for salvation. Many of us hearing this message are clinging to or grabbing hold of things that have become our functional saviors. Many of us hearing this message are spending everything that we have on things that will never bring us the freedom that we so desperately desire. This is why it is important for us to hear that Jesus saves people who come to him trusting and believing in his power to save. What does it mean to trust and believe in Jesus? What does it actually look like to place our trust in Jesus and believe that he is enough to save us and heal us and fulfill our deepest desires? Because listen, guys, we live in America. I mean, in America, on one side, it's unpopular to call yourself Christian because Christians are viewed as bigots and hypocrites, and rightly so because there's so many Christians today who just give lip service to God out of one side of their mouth and then live completely sinful, untransformed, unchanged lives. So on one side, it can be very popular. On the other side, it can be unpopular to call yourself Christian. But it can be really easy to say, I believe in Jesus. It can be easy to say that. It's very difficult to pick up your cross and walk. Because Jesus made the statement in other portions of the gospel where he said that, you know what? Wide is the path and many will go down that and lead themselves right to destruction. But narrow is the path that very few will walk down and find eternal life. So we may live in a country that claims to have God at its head. But the reality is there are so many of us in this country that just give lip service to him, which then in turn causes others to say, I want nothing to do with that. So what does it look like to truly say, I believe and I trust in Jesus to save me? Look at verses 48 through 56. Luke says this. It's Jesus speaking, verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. for She is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Listen, trusting and believing in Jesus means this. It means resting peacefully as a child of God, facing your fears in belief, ignoring those who mock you, 
I'm being amazed by Jesus' works. Listen, in the text that we just read, Luke explains the interactions between Jesus and the woman who had been healed as well as the father and mother of the dead girl whom he miraculously brings back to life. In the midst of all that, he also interacts with people who mock him and laugh at him as he seeks to minister to those in need. This is what I love about Jesus. As we continue to enter the stories of Jesus' life and ministry, we find out that Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life and the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, the story we find in the scriptures is dynamic. It's like dynamite. There's nobody that could ever convince me that following Jesus could ever be boring. Those dull and boring services that you sit in where the preacher's just like, rah, 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 rah. And you're like, you know, it's like Snoopy. I mean, There's nobody that could ever convince me that following Jesus is boring. It's dynamic. There's so much happening in these stories that that if you come to the assumption that that Jesus is boring, you're missing it. Following Jesus means a ton of adventure and risk and danger and sacrifice and change. Like when you encounter Jesus, nothing stays the same. And when I walk with young men or young women who are still the same or worse than they were a couple of years ago, I wonder, have they truly encountered Jesus or have they only encountered another religion with a big fat book? Because if that's it, religion doesn't save. Only Jesus saves you, changes you. In the midst of all this dynamic, adventurous stuff is a bunch of people. I mean, people are all over the place in the text as we read it. There's demon-possessed people, legalistic people. There's fearful people, sick people, isolated people, sinful people, faithful people. And as you look around this room today, there's people. And that's the point. Jesus came to save people. Trust in him and believe in his power to save them. Just as Jesus instructed the woman as his daughter, like you should underline the fact that he calls her daughter. He instructs her as daughter to go in peace. And in the same way, we too can receive that same peaceful assurance as sons and daughters of God if we have placed our trust and our faith in Christ. And just like this woman and just like Jairus in the text, we can face our fears of being inadequate and failing. And we can face those fears by trusting and believing that Christ is enough. Just as Jesus instructed Jairus to do when he said, do not fear, only believe. I mean, we should tattoo that somewhere. Do not fear, Only believe. Do you know how many people are walking around in fear today? I mean, listen to me. There's so many people that are walking around in fear today that I might get found out. I might fail. I might never find someone who will love me. I may never beat this thing that's been beating me for so long. Yet the scriptures instruct us in Romans that we are not to be given over to a spirit of fear which drives us back into slavery again, but we are to be set free 
and led by the Spirit of God into the presence of our Father where we cry out, Abba, Father, which means Daddy, Daddy. And that's the issue. Most of us have Daddy issues deep down inside. You want to talk about like that song that we sang earlier called Healer. And you look at this text where you see these two people with these deep-rooted issues. One of the biggest issues of our day and age today is daddies who have bailed out. I did it for a time too. So, man, if you're here and and you say, man, that was me at one point, know that you can be forgiven and you can be saved. But know, too, that if you're walking around with the wounds of that, where your daddy bailed on you, he hurt you in some way. Jesus can heal that. Jesus can save that. And what happens a lot of times is we run around in circles trying to change our lives in our own strength by just adding more crap to our lives, thinking it will save us a false gospel. False gospel. When your fear is overtaking you, it's because you are struggling to believe that Christ is enough. When you've given in to fear, it's because you are struggling to believe that Christ is enough. And somehow you're listening to these voices that are telling you that you need something other than Christ. Like Jesus plus something will actually equal your healing and your salvation and your change. And the the reality is just like one author wrote that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Just Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's the reason that I think this woman and that Jairus came to Jesus is they began to realize that every other pursuit would lead them the wheels off the bus yet again, and that only Jesus would save them. Don't forget. Don't forget this piece too. Remember the mocking and the laughter that's taking place in the text as Jesus walks into the house, as he arrives at the home of Jairus, and the people there mocked him and laughed at him because he said that the girl was only sleeping. Listen to me on this one. This is very important. People will mock you when you proclaim the power and the glory of God and Christ at work in you. When you proclaim the holiness of God and you call for radical holiness, not only in your own life, but in the lives of your quote unquote brothers and sisters around you, you will be mocked. It will laugh at you. They will say hurtful things to you. They will slander you. They will gossip about you. They will reject you. They will abandon you. They will turn on you. People who, who, who have been, could have been, or would have been the recipients of God's grace at work through you. Those very same people will turn on you oftentimes. We must take our cue from Jesus in this. And ignore them while continuing to trust and believe in him. Listen, to give into fear because you are mocked or laughed at is, in a sense, to disbelieve God in those moments. And his power to save and protect you and establish you as his child. We must fight to trust 
and believe in Jesus. We must fight to come to him so that he can save us because only Jesus saves people. Listen, all of this culminates towards the end of the text in the final verse. It all culminates into amazement. Listen, when Jesus saves you because you have trusted and believed in him, because you have actually truthfully and authentically come to him and laid yourself out in front of him, what culminates out of your life is amazement. You will be amazed, not the way that he left you on your deathbed struggling in your same sinful patterns that you've always been caught in. In this text, he doesn't leave them there. The girl is no longer dead. The woman is no longer struggling in her blood issues. When you encounter Jesus, he radically changes you and transforms you. You will not be amazed at how he left you on your deathbed to struggle breathing in your sinful patterns. But this is what you'll be amazed by. You will be amazed by the fact that he breathed new life into you. So that you could get up from your bed of pitiful death that is brought on by this world of sin that we have lived in. And that we all have been shackled to at some point in time or another. When Jesus saves you, as you place your faith and your trust in him, believing that he can save you, you will be amazed because you no longer live like a dead person. Instead, you now begin to take nourishment. You begin to take nourishment like a brand new little baby who must be nourished. You no longer live for yourself. You no longer live in isolation and alone, in shame and in fear. You no longer live in your religious, habitual activities. You take nourishment through the ministry of the word, the spirit, and the body of Christ. You will be amazed when Jesus saves you because you will be radically changed from a dead person to a person who is living fully alive as God designed you to. That's the good news. That is the gospel message for us today. You and I can live as fully alive and radically changed people because Jesus saves people. Jesus saves people who come to him trusting and believing in his power to save them. invite our musicians forward as I conclude our time in the scriptures today. <clears throat> and as I conclude, I want you to remember again the text that I opened with, the quote that I opened this message with. I want you to hear it again. When every other attempted remedy has failed, when we have spent everything we have and still have not found the cure. When everyone else has let us down and all of our other supports have given way, Jesus is ready and waiting to save us. Is this you today? Are you tired of spending your life on failed pursuits? Are you done spending all of your relational or financial currency on pursuits that don't heal or change you? 
Do you want to live? Do you want to be saved? Are you compelled by the Spirit to come to Christ today? Are you cut to the heart today because of the wretchedness of your pursuit of false gospels and false messiahs? Listen, it doesn't matter if you've never come to Christ or if you have come to Christ before. All of us are prone to look somewhere else for salvation other than Christ alone. All of us need to be in a pattern of continued repentance for our disbelief and our mistrust and our and our and are striving to go somewhere else, to cling to something else, to grab hold of something else other than Christ. All of us can be praying this prayer of thinking this way from this message. Are you cut to the heart today? Do you want to reach out for Christ and grab hold of him as you legitimately repent of your failed attempts to save yourself? Do you find yourself believing and trusting in God in these moments? Let me ask you again. Like, do you find yourself believing and trusting in God? Maybe for the first time in these moments. Or maybe, maybe for the umpteenth gazillionth time in these moments. This is the good news, my friends, is that you can continuously believe. You can continuously trust. Continuously repent. It's not a one-time thing. It's an all-time thing. It's an everyday, moment-by-moment, second-by-second walk and journey with Jesus, whereby he calls you to come to him unashamed, unafraid, to apply once again the work of the cross and his shed blood and his broken body and the power of the empty tomb, which then would bring joy. As the scriptures say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. This is the joy that that gets welling up deep inside of you when the Holy Spirit does his work in you. All your other pursuits can go away. It doesn't matter how good you feel or how bad you think you've been. When you come to Jesus, he can heal you and save you and transform you. And then you will be amazed because your life will not be the same. You will truly be saved and your life will bear the fruit and the evidence just like the little girl who got up out of the bed and began to eat food this was evidence that she was alive the question for you my friends is is there fruit in your life today that you are alive or do you walk around smelling and stinking and looking like the death that has always had you in captivity Jesus saves people pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word. God, I beg you to save people through this message. I can't do that. That's you. Lord, I know there are people in our church family, and there are people who will listen to this message, and they think they're saved because They've been living a part of a family that had a ton of religious activity going on and they got all the right words and they got all the right activity but their life stinks like death because they're dead. We need you, Jesus, to bring us back to life today. We need you, Jesus, to breathe life into us today. 
that there would be radical change, that there would be salvation, that the fruit of our lives would show that we love you. Jesus, we need you to do that work of saving people in our midst and in this community. So we, we just, we give this to you. We give this to you. We ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Please stand with me. There will be a few of us near the front to pray with you this morning. Thanks for letting me preach today. I love you guys a ton. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.